This program is brought to you by DJ's Goalpost Sports Bar and Grill. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Pip and Dodds Packers podcast featuring the remarkable Michael Rachel and our incredible producer, Jason Ruck. I'm Tom Pippins. The last time we were with you, well, we had that viewing party, but it certainly wasn't a great party because Tampa Bay crashed it on the way to winning the Super Bowl. And we have with us the Packers historian, John Dodds. Michael, I think that when he was born, John had a Packers credential on one uh, wrist. <laughs> and a Marquette credential on the other. So he was born ready to rock and roll. And Jeeper, so much has happened, right? Uh, since we were together last, Aaron Rodgers, MVP for the third time, announces he's engaged, going back and forth with Jody Foster. I guess they're friends now, the famous actress, et cetera. But we're here to talk about those Green Bay Packers. And JD, to kick it off, uh, certainly, You've got a new defensive coordinator in Joe Barry. Why don't we start there? Here's a fellow who talks about he's got scars, but it's not a bad thing. He's had a couple of stops as the head guy defensively in Detroit and Washington. Didn't work out very well there with teams who were certainly not the, the most talented. Yeah, the, the, the curious thing about uh, Mike Pettin, who he replaced, is about halfway through the year, the Packers' defense was just ordinary. And then the players had to go to Pettin to basically say, hey, why don't you use Preston Smith better? Instead of dropping him off into coverage where he's ineffective, have him rush the passer, have him get into the rushing lanes, bring Amos up into the box from safety and have him do more things. And I remember thinking at the time, that's really curious that the, and the Packers played better. Plus, obviously, Kenny Clark got healthy after the, the groin injury and he started really playing better the second half. But it's curious when the players have to approach the coach to be more aggressive. So I think the handwriting was on the wall. And then when they had the missed discussion at, on the sideline at the Tampa game at the end of the second quarter on what defense to use, and it resulted in a touchdown, really the probably the devastating play, the turning point of that game, uh, you, you kind of knew that um, the – Patton was uh, probably at the end of the plank. Mm -hmm. And Matt LaFleur, Michael, has talked about being comfortable with Joe Barry. They seem to have similar personalities, proactive. Maybe he's going to be a little bit more uh, aggressive. You know, you talk about the Vic Fangio-style defense. And so what do you think of that hire? Were you surprised a little bit? Some people say, ah, retread, you know. I, I was surprised. I'm never a big fan of retreads, but... I was the same way when the Packers hired uh, Matt LaFleur. I was like, what did he really do in Tennessee? It wasn't that impressive with, with those numbers in Tennessee. He comes over to Green Bay, they're the best offense in the league. So, you know, it's hard to judge before he comes. But on the surface, Joe Barry did not have two good seasons in Washington when he was the defensive coordinator. And he was on the part of the 0-16 Detroit Lions. But it's more, is it just bad players that he has to coach? Or is this a coaching problem? I'm not sure. I'll trust Matt LaFleur with uh, this hire and, and Gutekunst, but uh, 14 hours for an interview is a long time. So I'm hoping that this is a good hire, but it's never good that your number one option, Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator for the Badgers, declined it. Yeah. So whenever you don't have your top option accepting the job, I always think it's a little, a, a little risky, but uh, we'll see. I'm not going to judge it too hard, but I would have liked to have seen someone else. 
Right. We'll see what happens going forward. It reminded me of, um, you know, and I, I always look back being a historian. <laughs> uh, I look back at uh, when Ray Rhodes, when, when Mike Holmgren came in 92, they hired Ray Rhodes and Sherm Lewis as their coordinators. And Ray Rhodes was known as a very good coordinator, but then he left for the Philadelphia Eagles after I believe it was 90, the 93 season. So they were looking for a new defensive coordinator and they looked at Fritz Shermer. And I remember Fritz Shermer, but that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't really, you know, trip my trigger. That's not a cutting edge pick. That's an older guy. And as he was in his sixties, he had been there. What has he really done? But Holmgren said something that Matt LaFleur said, and it just, that jogged my memory. Holmgren said, when I was with the 49ers as the quarterbacks coach for Montana and Steve Young, nobody gave us more difficulties than the Los Angeles Rams and Fritz Shermer. His defenses were the toughest to scheme against. They were the toughest to react to. And that's exactly what, what uh, LaFleur said. He said the Rams, even though they had their way with the Rams, he said, Our, there's no defense that played us tougher and scouted us better and made us react more and tried to stop us in our scheme than the Rams did in the playoffs. And he, so he was sold on the Vic Fangio system. And that's, I think, why he hired uh, Barry. Mm -hmm. That was, but that reminded, and, and Leonard, Leonard, Leonard might be practicing for interviews, but they might be also grooming him. Barry and some of the people might be grooming him to be head coach of the Badgers. You don't know exactly what's going on there, why Leonard decided not to take it. Mm -hmm. Michael, I, I want J.D. in particular to get into the, the salary cap. He's our capologist on the Pip and Dodds Packers podcast with Michael Rachel, you, and our marvelous producer, Jason Ruck. <laughs> and it's nice to be back with everybody. Um, You've got a, a situation where Aaron Jones is being talked about in terms of maybe a franchise or a transition. David Bakhtiari gave him some wiggle room by restructuring his contract, was it about $8 million or so? And you, you wonder, they've cut Ricky Wagner and Christian Kirksey, but how do you look at that, that entire picture? There are a lot of decisions for GM Brian Gutekunst and company to make, right? There are, and they got to do it quickly. Just about two weeks left until they have to get under that that original cap number, which will be they have to cut about $15 million still left, and they can do that by multiple ways. They can start with Aaron Rodgers, first of all, restructuring his contract. He has a signing bonus – or, sorry, he has a roster bonus of about $6, 7000000 million, which they can turn into a, a signing bonus, and Rodgers has no say about that, which would save about $4.5 million this year. So they could do that. It's similar to what they did with David Bakhtiari. Uh, one thing that did surprise me, I didn't think Preston Smith would be back, even though he's under contract. I thought they'd cut him, but it sounded like uh, they're going to keep him around. And maybe that's because he was part of the Joe Barry team. He was a rookie in Washington when Joe Barry was a defensive coordinator in Washington. So uh, it'll be interesting. Aaron Jones franchise tag. We had the Packers have not used a franchise tag and an unrestricted free agent since 2011, I believe. So uncharted territories for Green Bay there. But uh I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to franchise tag him or not. It'll be interesting, but they've got a lot of work to do, like you said, Pip, in these next couple of weeks. Wow, he's, you're really bringing it, my friend. You must be <laughs> you got your nose to the grindstone since the end of the season. J.D., you want to pick up on that? Yeah, there's uh, 
there's a bunch of ways they can go. They can, um, first of all, I think they're going to, they are going to franchise Aaron Jones. I think that's the, they've realized that they need, they need that weapon. Now, the whole thing with Drew Rosenhaus is what he wants guaranteed money. And the Packers, I believe, offered a, a $9 million a year uh, for a four-year, five-year period, but no guarantees. Rosenhaus wants guarantees. The disadvantage of franchising um, Jones is that you have to keep $8.2 million freed on your cap if you do that. So that has to be, and that, that's kept. Now, if he if he holds out, you can deduct that as he holds out. But then if he comes back halfway through the year and then gets that league year, chances are he's not going to be in shape. He'll take a month to get in shape. And chances are he'll get hurt. Nobody wins on that, especially with durability issues. So I think they're going to threaten the franchise and try to get him to get maybe a, a four-year $36 million deal with 18 million guaranteed. And then they, they can, they can go from there in terms of the other cap moves. Uh, as Michael said, they can do things with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Now, one of the reasons why Rodgers was, and he is so calculated, even in an emotional time after the Tampa Bay game, we're all, all the fans are going nuts and he comes in and, you know, starts doubting his future. I mean, what a, calm and cold and calculated comment because basically he has a 38 million dollar cap number next year for the Packers of which he receives I think it's 31 million dollars in base salary that's not guaranteed if he gets cut or he gets in a car accident or something where he can't play he gets the donut this year now Green Bay would have a, a, an acceleration of $38 million cap number or $31 million cap number, but the amount that they owe Rodgers would be zero, zero guarantee. So what Rodgers is saying, I want to be guaranteed a little bit. So I look for the Packers to go, all right, let's do a three-year deal extension, tear up the old contract, and let's give you, say, $40 million guaranteed and then reduce and allocate it over a three-year period and we'll give you a minimum salary, make that cap number go down to say 20 million and really free up some cap. So I think there's gonna be Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. They can redo all those deals and save a ton of money. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly will be fun to see where they go from here. Do you think, uh, can you see Michael a scenario where AJ Dillon is the feature back even if Aaron Jones comes back? Or do you think they might even try to go with a three-headed monster? Jamal Williams, if you break down his numbers in terms of uh, yardage versus carries, he's actually been more productive as he's gone on in his pro career. And we know he can block. We know the chemistry that exists. They're great locker room guys. It ain't easy. Yeah, it all depends on what they do with Jones and Williams. I'm not sure if Jamal Williams will even be back on the team. But if they do franchise tag Aaron Jones, which J.D. thinks they will, I, I don't see Dylan being the lead back. Um, maybe they do want to save Jones a little bit. He's had injury problems. He had injury problems this last season. Um, so maybe at times you'll see A.J. Dillon be the lead back. But I think, you know, come big games, playoff times, it'll be Aaron Jones that'll still be the lead back. Mm -hmm. 
What's your take there, John? Can you see <clears throat> Dylan being the guy or if you're going to bring Jones back and you're going to pay him some pretty good money, you probably keep your rotation as it is. I think you keep your rotation. I, I just don't see him being durable enough. Now he did have COVID. So that, that throws, I just looking at guys from other sports, you just don't know how that impacts every, everyone's unique and different, but he's a nice guy to have. He can catch the ball. He could be a third down back to begin with, or a short yardage back. But I think you're going to need to, you're, you're probably going to have to draft one on day three and then have Dylan and uh, Aaron Jones be your guys. I, I just don't see them relying on Dylan. I need to see more. Well, before we know it, the draft will be here. There is the decisions to be made, as you point out, Michael, relative to salary cap. And, you know, you'll have free agency in there. We know the Packer are obviously in a, in a box when it comes to that, but if they can get a little bit of flexibility, let's put out your GM cap right now, both you guys. Let me start with you. What do you do to shape this roster to be able to take that next step? I still think it's on the defensive end right now, linebackers especially, uh, and then another corner. You know, Kevin Kane might not be back, and even if he is, you know, we'd like to see an upgrade alongside with Jair Alexander. So I still think it's defensively, especially the linebacker group. You just need linebackers. I mean, our big critique this year was that our linebackers don't fly around the field and make big plays like you do, like you see in Tampa, who won the Super Bowl and other teams like that. So uh, I'd like to see that. I know a lot of people are going to go to wide receivers, which, uh, yeah, I mean, Will Fuller, Corey Davis is available. Will you be able to pay for them? Probably not. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, I'd rather see them spend the money on the defensive end, uh, especially, you know, maybe Devin Funches will even be back next year for the Packers. He sat out this year. Uh, so he might be a little bit of an addition. But uh, for me, it's the defensive end or defensive uh, side of the ball. I'm with you there, excuse me, because Joe Barry wants to play fast and furious. Well, it'd be nice if he had those Tampa Bay linebackers. Right. Absolutely. To think of what they did to the Chiefs and it admittedly, hobbled quarterback uh, Patrick Mahomes as great as he is he was running for his life boy Tom Brady just seems to step into the right situation at all times but John <laughs> has to be an upgrade there I know we can get into the offense and offensive line and we will but for now how do you see this defense what do they need to do to be able to be a, a top ranked D they were better they weren't bad but but if you're talking about winning a Super Bowl they're not there if Preston Smith comes back, and I think he, uh, that's key, just redo his deal, I think the number one uh, target is corner. And be, be, before the, the press conferences this week in Green Bay, when Joe Barry basically said uh, corner is the, is the target, I think um, pass rush, cornerback, offensive tackle, those are the ones now – this is a historic draft for offensive tackle, one of the best ever, but it's deep. And you got Bakhtiari in, in, a, in what was it, 2013 in round four, top of round four. And I think there's going to be some really nice tackles at the top of day one, at the top of day three. So, but at 29, I think they go corner. And it seems to me this draft, and we've mentioned this, be, I've mentioned this before, because the Badgers only had 
seven or eight games this year instead of 13. There's less game tape on a lot of players and some players who would have developed didn't get that chance. So less exposure, less development. I think this draft, you can get first round quality on mistakes that are made. There's no combine. So the info is all at, at workouts at pro days on the individual college campuses. So people are going to be, players are going to be falling in rounds three and four with first round quality that you can look back and say, wow, huge opportunity. So I sense that Green Bay, if there's a corner or some really good player that falls at 29, they take them, obviously. I don't see them trading up because those third and fourth and fifth round picks are so valuable this year. I see a trade back a little bit from 29 into 32 to 36 area, get a high fourth round pick and get another, take another flyer on a player that could be second or first round quality. But the one guy I keep hearing is Asante Samuel. He's a corner out of uh, Florida State. And Green Bay's been talking with him. They've been scouting him. And uh, they could take him at 29 and just not try to be cute. But I've seen mocks where he gets taken at the end of the second round. If they could trade back a little bit and take him. There's also a, a really good corner out of... Um, uh, out of Oregon named Thomas Graham. He was, uh, he's uh, about six feet and extremely fast. It had a great senior bowl. The senior bowl cornerbacks jumped out. It's a pretty deep class. You can get a quality corner in round three and four. So I think what Green Bay does is trade back, add a pick at the top of round four, and then go from there. Michael, who's the starting left tackle going to be on opening day? Is it going to be Elton Jenkins? We know that Bakhtiari is not going to be there for until well into the season with, with the injury that he has to recover from. And, and I believe it, came, it finally burned him, didn't it, against the Buccaneers. It's my opinion, you know, hindsight 2020, and maybe it sounds rationalization, but if you got Bakhtiari and you had Billy Turner on the right side, that offense would have been much better down the stretch than it was. Aaron Rodgers had no time, another five sack, and he was, you know, he was getting hit all over the place again. But let's talk about that O-line a little bit because it's evident with the dismissal of Ricky Wagner that they, uh, they need to do something. They do, and I think Jenkins right now would probably be the starter at left tackle. But, you know, come day one, hopefully that roster is more assured up on the offensive line end, either through the draft or through free agency or – or something, because they got to make some moves, to, especially if Lindsley's gone. You know, then you've got multiple positions you have to fill on that offensive line. So uh, Jenkins probably right now, but hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. I could see it being possibly a rookie. I could see it. So uh, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. But I don't know. It's a tough one. I wonder if John Runyon, John Dodds, mm -hmm. is going to get an opportunity to now going into his second year from Michigan, a guy who seemingly can be someone who will be on that O-line for years to come. Yeah, he, he could uh, – that, that offensive line was an amazing story last year, the way they could plug and play. And not many teams can lose their number one left tackle <laughs> like Bakhtiari and just – and it was virtually seamless until they, they played Tampa. Uh, and uh, then, then they were exposed. But, 
Yeah, um, they're they're very high on their uh, their draft picks from last year. Um, now Jenkins is their best player on the line, even better than probably Bakhtiari. He can wow, play. that's saying a bunch. Yeah, he can play center. I mean, he's the he reminds me a little bit of Forrest Gregg in that Forrest Gregg was a Hall of Fame right tackle, and when Jerry Kramer broke his ankle in '61, they plugged Forrest Gregg at at um, right guard to, for Kramer, and he was uh, all pro at right guard. I mean, that's what that's what Jenkins is. I think you plug, you let Lindsley go, unfortunately. They're, I think they're concerned that he's starting to be on the, the uh, downhill run of his career in terms of high-quality guy, great locker room guy, but has had back injuries and he's had issues where he needs rest at practice, and Maybe you can't count on him with a big guarantee. They let T.J. Lang go in a similar fashion. But Jenkins, you can plug it at center. And I think, as, as you just said, uh, Runyon, can, you can play him at, uh, at uh, right tackle. Uh, uh, Lucas Patrick is a guy that they can plug in at guard or they can plug in at center. And they're really high on uh, Simon Stepaniak. He's the uh, – he's the uh, – Guard from uh, Indiana. He blew his knee late in this uh, in a bowl game, I believe. So he was out most of last year, but he's got some nasty in him, and uh -huh. I think they can plug and play him at guard. So I, they're they're definitely going to draft two offensive tackles. And there's a there's an offensive tackle from uh, Stanford named Walker Little. He was a uh, probably a number one top number one offensive tackle left tackle uh, for Stanford probably a top 10 pick he blew his ACL at the end of 2019 and opted out last year it's a really interesting Walker a little where he's going to be going but I think that's why I think the Packers might trade back a little bit get a get uh, an extra pick and if a Walker a little would fall a little bit because he opted out and there's not enough tape on him that's a that's a left tackle prospect that you could get in round two. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if Jenkins is is quite Bakhtiari that, but you bring up a great point as always, John. He is certainly the most versatile old lineman they have, and he has a chance to be great. The ceiling is unbelievable. But all of a sudden, as John mentioned, well, if you don't bring back Lindsay, and I see it, I think the Packers aren't they fellas are hesitant to give old lineman a third contract. It seems to be. You know, you get one, and then you, you get a pretty darn good uh, second contract. And after that, you know, and they've, they've mostly been on the mark when they've made those decisions. But, wow, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of work to be done to get that offensive line back there to the point where they can really take care of number 12, Michael. Yeah, it's a little scary. I haven't thought that deeply about it, but it's a little scary given what we, we were accustomed to last year with one of the best offensive lines. Now two-fifths of that, almost well, three-fifths of that's kind of gone for next year, most of next year. Um, so they have a lot of work to do, but, you know, John's got me feeling a little optimistic with the rookies from last year that they're high in Stepaniak and other guys. So I have faith. Hopefully Rogers has faith because that's what it comes down to. As long as he feels comfortable and can uh, – can stay in the pocket for three, four seconds instead of, you know, trying to get the ball out of his hands quicker than he needs to. It's uh, all that matters. It's the Pippin Dodds Packers podcast with Michael Rachel. Our producer is Jason Ruck. I'm Tom Pippins. It is uh, terrific to be back with you. And we want to thank our good friend Don Matovich at DJ's Goalpost. 
And we have the Elephant Lee marketing team in Paris and Milwaukee. And uh, we have the outstanding golf. John, tell me about that golf again. I'm having a little <laughs> tough time remembering. I forgot my notes. Shame on me, the senior guy. Four, right? Four Milwaukee, F-O-R-E. And some outstanding uh, eyewear that I've been fortunate to have a great experience with the Ruiz Brothers Tower Optical, not too far away from Mayfair Mall. John, I've had a number of people say, I just don't understand the cap. Michael did a pretty good job. I said, well, we've got a capologist, our Packers historian. Can you, in somewhat layman's terms, explain how this thing works? I know that there's, you know, with COVID and all, the, the number is, is, the ceiling is not supposed to be as high. So where, where does it stand and where are the Packers in relation to that as they go forward making these important decisions? Sure. The, um, the cap basically uh, was set up by the collective bargaining agreement and the players get a, cut, a certain cut, 55 to 57% of the, of the gates. And uh, I think it, it includes everything. It's gates, it's TV. It doesn't include luxury boxes. So that's why um, it's so important to have the luxury boxes around uh, Lambeau Field and the way that Green Bay can generate money all around the year round at Lambeau. It's a destination a place they can put that one right into the till and not have to share it with the players. But with COVID, the NFL is down three billion dollars with um, with revenue because of uh, no fans. So the the uh, cap has been going up sig significantly every year and was projected to be I think two hundred and five uh, million dollars with uh, with this year. But with COVID and the, the players and the, the owners agreed that it's going to be about 175 million. They did that last, uh, the projection was maybe last September when they saw the falling gates. So it's at 175, but then the players realized that these free agents are going to be out on an island and, and teams are going to be cutting down their team and they're going to be freeing up a lot of veteran free agents and some of the guys in their prime are coming out, like uh, Aaron Jones. They're going to be coming out, and there's not going to be a lot of demand for them. So the players have said, well, rather than going down the line, and there's a new TV contract that's supposed to be coming in, nobody, there's no common TV shows anymore except for sports. So the value of NFL football is still off the charts. And there's new ways of packaging it, uh, broadcasting it over phones and the internet. So what they're doing is rather that the Players Association is saying, rather than having $225 million cap in 2024, which benefits nobody now, why don't we take some of that and add it to the 75 million and get it up to 182 to 83 million, maybe 185 million. So that's what they're negotiating now. Right now it's about 185 million. Uh, the Packers are, Oh, 28 or so million over the cap, but that's that's just accounting. Redo a couple of deals and you can get right down. I look for the Packers to try to drop $50 million off their cap by reworking deals with Rodgers, with Devonta Adams, with uh, the Smith brothers. If they can do that, and then uh, they, they need $8 million 
to work with the draft picks. They have 10 draft picks. That's $8 million that has to be allocated. But Gutekunst thinks that it's going to be Christmas morning for some of the uh, people that were cut. And uh, you're going to be cutting a lot of guys like uh, Ricky Wagner, the Packers cut. Um, they, they, they cut their, uh, their uh, middle linebacker from uh, that they signed from Cleveland. Sure. Machine, right? Yeah. Yeah, they cut him. So there's going to be – every team is doing that. I, I see that uh, Minnesota just cut their tight end yesterday mm. for Notre Dame. So um, this, is, this is going to be – if you're down low enough, you're going to be able to get some incredible bargains. And, but the Packers have a good team. They want to keep their own. And they have 10 draft picks, including three um, – supplemental complimentary picks that they're going to get for uh, losing uh, Blake Martinez. They're going to get a fourth round for that, probably a fifth round, maybe a fourth for Balaga. It's a cutting edge type of thing. And letting Balaga go, he missed, he missed uh, five games with San Diego with ankle and shoulder and back injuries. So probably a good move. It came back, did come back to bite him, as you said, Pip when Bakhtiari got hurt. And then the final thing is Fackrell. Fackrell signed with the Giants, so that means they'll get a sixth-round pick for him. Mm -hmm. John, would you bring back – let me stay with you. i got a couple of questions for Michael. Um, would you bring back Kevin King, or is he deep and gone? Out of here. I'd bring him back for a reasonable salary, and I would make him a nickel back. Uh, I, I just don't think he's durable enough. And it was scary toward the end of the year. He was missing because of Achilles issues. He had back issues. He's had chronic shoulder issues. And he, uh, I remember when he came out, sports science did a, uh, a study of him and he had a catch radius that equaled Kawhi Leonard, uh, the <laughs> basketball player. Good, it was huh? the biggest catch radius they've ever seen. And he was never, he was never quite able to, uh, to match that. Now, he had the confidence and he had the swagger. And he did make some good plays. I remember making tre tremendous interception against the Raiders uh, two years ago in the end zone where he seemed like he did a Bob Beeman jump from Mexico City where he jumped and caught the ball. Uh, there's talent there, but... The durability issue, unless he comes in for three million or less, or wants to sign a one-year deal because he's not getting any nuggets, hey, how about we'll give you a one million or one-year three million dollar deal with incentives? So if you have ten interceptions, we'll pay you like that. But and then next year, when you have that good year, you can go to free agency when the cap is back up to two hundred million, and you can get your money. That might be an attractive alternative for him. But the durability issue, I think Green Bay will go probably two cornerbacks in their first five picks is my guess. Michael and John brings up a point that gets my mind to go on that Kevin King hasn't really panned out. Vince Beagle certainly didn't pan out. They passed up T.J. Watt. All he did was lead the NFL in sacks. Ugh, but that's behind us. But speaking of the Watts, uh, J.J. seemed to tease us here after he uh, got himself freed up from Houston. 
And then, like a good businessman, he, he took the money, a team that didn't even seem to be in play, the Arizona Cardinals, 31 million bucks, 23 mil of which is guaranteed a two-year deal, I believe. Not bad for a 32-year-old who is injury-prone and certainly is not the three-time defensive player of the year uh, in terms of what he brings now, although, hey, he still has a lot to offer. What's your take on all that? Were you disappointed? Not really. Once I saw the contract amount, it's just never possible at the Packers to be able to match that. The only way he would come to Green Bay is that hometown feel. He just wants to come home and play two hours north of where he grew up. But then at the same time, I know that Cleveland offered him a big contract. Uh, I think Buffalo offered him a pretty good contract. And then obviously TJ Watt being in Pittsburgh, I thought that would be more attractive to him than coming to Green Bay. So I always thought Pittsburgh had an upper hand on Green Bay just, just because of my own personal thing, I'd be like, if I had a brother and we were both in the NFL, I'd like to play with him before going to the home team. But, you know, that's just me. But uh, once I saw the contract number, I was like, ah, kind of just let it go because there wasn't really a chance for the Packers to pay that much. And like you said, Pip, he's injury prone. He, I think he only had like five sacks, five and a half sacks last year. He didn't have the greatest year. So I don't really understand it on Arizona's end. Uh, I think they still have Chandler Jones over there, which is a good pass rusher. But uh I don't think it moves the needle enough for Arizona to make that contract or to give them that contract for some such big money. Um, Cause I don't think they're a contender yet, but um, yeah, I wasn't shocked or, or too sad about it just because of the money he got. Yeah. He sees a lot of double teams, but basically Rashawn Gary gave as much production and he's an ascending player. John, what's your take on that? Would you think in the end, it'll be better for the Packers anyway, even if they'd have been able to be in the ballpark to afford them, there's something very, very appealing about that Pewaukee native and, and just how it would have worked out, particularly if you spot play him and, and he can help out Kenny Clark in particular up front. Yeah, he's just, it would be like adding Bart Starr to your team. I mean, on and off the court, the guy, or on and off the field, the guy is unbelievable. Um, I, I think all things being equal, I think the Watts probably, the family and JJ wanted to go to Pittsburgh but Pittsburgh has eight top free agents that are leaving. They have Ben Roethlisberger with a $41 million cap number. And they're just in a lot of, they're in a tough, tough, uh, tough shape cap wise. So the timing couldn't have been worse for Watt if he wanted to play with his brothers. But uh, I always, I thought Green Bay would have the inside track because you would take lower money, maybe with incentives. But the problem with Green Bay is that you get that Aaron Campman uh, issue where I don't know if JJ wants to play nose tackle or three technique defensive end. He's more of a four three defensive end where you know he can't be concentrated on by you know the two offensive linemen. It's more of a one on one deal. And when the the Packers just changed to Joe Barry, Joe Barry wants to bring in his his uh, his scheme. And I remember when Bob Sanders was replaced by Dom Capers back in uh, 2008 to 2009, the best player Green Bay had was Aaron Campman on defense. And he was a dominating defensive lineman. And what he would do is he, 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 was put, he would put his hand down and he would be outweighed by offensive tackles by probably – maybe 50 pounds, he's maybe 285, they would be three, 350, 340, but he would use technique, perfected technique and strength, and he would use balance and technique and push those offensive linemen around before they could get into him. But then when, that was with Sanders, 
they make the change to capers and capers has him standing straight up all the advantage he had with leverage and hand placement was gone and these linemen now saw him in space and they would knock the heck out of him so it was just too bad that that would happen and i'm wondering if if Watt looked at the Packers and thought, you know, maybe I want to go to a 4-3 team or have a 4-3 lineup. Um, and then from the, from the uh, Cardinals standpoint, um, well, from Watt's standpoint, it couldn't be that the Cardinals are going to get to the Super Bowl because there's no way they're going to get out of that division with Seattle, San Francisco, and the Rams. There's just no way they, they can come out of that division unless – Russell Wilson gets traded or something, but the Cardinals must be looking at Watt as like a Reggie White circa 1992, where we brought this guy in. He's got a lot of friends. It improves our image. Maybe he can talk us up and bring some of his friends. And Pip, if, if I can add two things quickly. Um, so obviously he used to play in Houston. Chris Paul, the point guard for the Phoenix Suns, he used to play for the Houston Rockets, and uh, he was a big contributor to J.J. Watt's uh, fund for the, the hurricane that came through Houston a while ago. So they've been close friends, and there were some reports about them texting each other saying, hey, it'd be kind of cool uh, if we played together in the same city. Or not together, but played in the same city. And then uh, lastly, he tweeted something that was like, uh, it's always nice to wake up to 75-degree weather in December. So yeah. when, when, you're, when you're getting towards the end of your career, it's, you know, your priorities change a little bit. Maybe, you know, weather was one of them. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. And again, 23 million guaranteed. That's, that's tough for anybody to, to turn down. Unless you have, there's something you really want to uh, throw out there. I don't want to uh, be remiss in that regard, but I, I'd like to ask most, both of you this question. We know how painful the NFC championship game loss was and everything was set up for Aaron Rodgers to, to finally get there. The only, uh, what, one and four uh, in the NFC Championship game? Is that it, one and four, or was he one and three going in? I think one and four. He was one and three, now he's one and four. Okay. Okay. And legacy and all that. You could, but, but where I really want to go with this is, do you feel in the Rodgers era, the Packers will make a Super Bowl and win it, or did the best chance pass them by a few weeks ago? Michael? I think the best chance passed them by weeks ago just because of the trajectory of other teams. I mean, the, the NFC got better, you know, with, you know, Stafford going over to the Rams. That was kind of an irrelevant team in Detroit that now there's now a very relevant team in Los Angeles. And even if you were to make the Super Bowl, you've got a, a ticked off Kansas City team that's looking for vengeance after what they what everyone thought was they were going to win the Super Bowl until the, the – um, the injuries to their offensive line and then Buffalo's playing amazing as well. So I just think more teams are, are improving at a quicker rate than the Packers uh, for, for me to say that they will, I wouldn't be shocked if they do, don't get me wrong. But if I were to, you know, say, will they get to a Super Bowl and win it? I'd, I'd have to say no. I'll join that club. You want to make me feel a little better, John? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the Packers are still the team to beat just, they have a good, good chance as any of making the Super Bowl the next two years. They're, they're doing it the right way. Now, it's uh, every now and then there's a sports freak, and the sports freak was Tampa Bay getting a quarterback in Brady. That, that, to make an analogy, that was like the best team in the NBA in 1983 was the Milwaukee Bucks. But for some reason, 
Houston traded Moses Malone to the 76ers. And I'm, why did that happen? So it, it was a fluke. So, so Tampa Bay didn't have to give up anything. And they got, they got the, the, the last piece of the puzzle. The, the team I worry about the most is the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. But they seem really bogged down with, uh, with their quarterback, Garoppolo. They're trying to they're, they're pulling out all the stops to try to trade up and get one, but they're going to have a young quarterback. And, uh, and I just can't, I, I would, if I'm a Packer fan, I'd feel really good about uh, the coaching staff, the uh, personnel department, they're doing it the right way. They drafted a quarterback last year and, oh, they didn't draft a wide receiver. Well, it didn't hurt them at all. It, you know, it was the offensive line injuries that kind of finally came back and bit them that they couldn't get to the Super Bowl, but uh, they got the quarterback. And if the, the, the quarterback, I saw Mel Kuyper say if the last two draft classes of quarterbacks have been very good. And he rated, he would rate um, Jordan Love probably as the ninth pick uh, in that. And I would say this year, if Jordan Love came out, he'd be a top 15 pick for sure. So long-term, I'm really bullish on the Packers. What can they do in the offseason? Get some playmakers on defense. Pass rush is the great deodorant and defensive back. Cover the passing of the other teams. And then you're, you're good. And then I think you can get some low-cost defensive tackles who can plug the run in free agency. There's going to be a lot of cap hits, and you're going to be able to pick that up. So I'm really optimistic about the Packers. It's a tougher schedule this year. But looking back, those schedules are never as tough as you think. So as long as they stay healthy, like they have been, I think they're the probably the team to beat. And there's some there's some players in Tampa who are going to be lost via free agency. So we'll see. And I remember the, the I thought the '85 Bears were going to be just oh they're the youngest team in the NFL and oh my goodness and they went on the chicken cir chicken circuit and they made a lot of money in the off season. And they weren't, they weren't as hungry the next year, and they never made it back. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But get some, get some pass rush, get some defensive players, playmakers, and uh, go from there. But Rodgers, if he discovered the fountain of youth at age, he's 37, but if he has the footwork down and he can, he can self-police his footwork and his passing, what the heck? They're just as good as anybody else. Well, they, certainly if he can approach what was arguably his best year, and that's saying a whole lot. He'll be 38, as you mentioned, John, December 2nd. But as long as they have that guy and he's healthy and playing at that level, you, you like their chances. Well, you guys haven't lost anything off your fastball. It's been <laughs> great to be together again on the Pippin Dodds Packers podcast. John Dodds, the great historian. Michael, Rachel, bringing it all the time. Blessed to have him on the team. And the incomparable Jason Ruck, our producer, who makes it all possible at Wisconsin Sports Stream, WSS, that beautiful studio. Lord Willie will get there as well. And before we sign off, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Professional Construction, Inc. Hard to believe now, 17 years for Mike and Michelle Grau out there in Waukesha. And they do a marvelous job, both commercially, but especially residentially. If you want home remodeling, best people in the world, big in the community. So we appreciate they got us started a couple of years ago and they're back with us. And we could not be uh, more full of gratitude for 
Professional Construction, Inc., and the great Mike and Michelle Grau. Speaking of great, for John Dodds, Michael Rachel, Jason Ruck, I'm Tom Pippins. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll do this again soon. The draft is right around the corner. God bless. Mm-hmm.